Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Michael Cousins, Chief Analytics Officer at Lumeris, about efforts to increase the adoption of advanced directives. And now, on to the interview. I'm talking today to Michael Cousins, Chief Analytics Officer at Lumeris. How's it going, Michael? I'm doing well. Excellent. Um, wanted to get started by having you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and Lumeris. Well, happy to do that. So, again, my name is Michael Cousins. I'm a, a PhD who uh, found his way into uh, healthcare about 20 some odd years ago. So, got a PhD in neuroscience, uh, where I studied Parkinson's disease and depression. And uh, long story short, on that, uh, ended up in what's called population health. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, about 20 years ago, and uh, really been interested in both the outcomes that we're able to generate and also the means by which we do it. And by that, I'm referring to the science, which I'm hoping we can touch on a little bit here today. So I've been doing this um, uh, population health uh, program development and analytics uh, for the majority of my career. and happy to dig into any, any element of that that you might be interested in. And uh, Lumeris, although uh, um, uh, came into at least my vision about five years ago, uh, I had started a predictive analytics company that used social determinants of health data in analytics. And uh, what Lumaris was doing was operationalizing uh, population health, so doing outreach. And one of the things that uh, both Lumaris and uh, I saw was the opportunity to bring our worlds together and you know, do more together than separately. And so that's what we've been doing the past five years, although Lumaris has been doing great things, uh, certainly predated me uh, going back right now. Excellent. Well, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, advanced directives. Um, how important is it to have a completed advanced directive? Mm-hmm. You know, Jay, the probably the thing, the place to go to answer that question would be this, you know, this is defined terms in terms of what an mm-hmm. advanced directive is. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, it can mean different things to different people. And it's a little bit of, a little bit like that, Oh, the elephant metaphor, you know, depends on what, if you're blind, depends on what part you're touching to decide what it is. Uh, but in general, advanced directive just refers to a document that refers to a person's uh, wishes and desires uh, as it relates to the end of life. And there's generally two components to it. Uh, there's a living will, uh, which I'll just elaborate on with that consists mm-hmm. of in a second. And then also the, the, the second component is, um, refers to who's your healthcare proxy. Is it a family member or um, who are you giving power of attorney to? So that's what advanced directive is. And you know, some of your listeners may know elements of it um, already. So advanced directive can, can refer to the, uh, do not resuscitate orders. So if you're in the hospital and you want DNR, that would be part of an advanced directive. Um, also, this is where one writes uh, or documents wishes related to uh, life-sustaining treatments, so the so-called feeding tubes uh, um, topic. Uh, so what are your wishes that it relates to that? And then lastly, um, what are your wishes related to organ and, and tissue uh, donation? So advanced directive is a, it's a complicated document because it has several different components, but at the end of the day, what it boils down to is just a, a framework for uh, documenting and, and having uh, both family and your physician 
understanding what your wishes are at the end of life. So it can be complicated, but it doesn't need to be. And what are the sort of the uh, the current numbers nationally in terms of adoption of, of advanced directives? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> depending on your point of view, it's uh, either really, you can really be optimistic about it or, or somewhat pessimistic with lots of opportunity. So when I first started exploring advanced directives, um, uh, and that was actually born out of our, uh, our medical uh, officers' um, desire to you know, make improvements in this space, you know, one of the first questions we had is, so what is the status quo? And the status quo in, in the U.S. is um, that about 40%, 40-43% of Americans have uh, an advanced directive. And you know, my little editorial on that is I was actually frankly surprised it was so high. I was pleasantly surprised it was so high. But um, of course, it's, it's, it's not 100%. So you know, with that, there's opportunity. So uh, that 40-odd percent uh, nationally actually uh, was reflected in our own geography uh, of, in this case, we were looking in um, middle America in the St. Louis uh, area. And the you know, baseline advanced directive rate was, was also about that 43%. So that's the status quo. Why do you think uh, the number isn't higher? Is it just that people don't know about advanced directives or, or don't, don't want to think mm. about it? Well, um, it's, 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 I guess not too many of us want to think about that. Mm. Um, uh, although you know, some of us uh, do think about it and might even have an app on our phone to tell tell us how many days we have left, and that might help us live a live a more fulfilling life. And don't tell me how I know that. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's a complicated topic and a, and and a serious one, and also one that's um, taboo uh, in in amongst many people. And so, um, so w why don't more people have it, I think really is, uh, has to do with just, it's uncomfortable to think about our, for many people to think about our own mortality. And what we're endeavoring to do, and this actually gets to our goals uh, with the Advanced Directive Program, but what we're endeavoring to do is to essentially normalize the topic of advanced directives and, and really make it not taboo. And for that, what we're where we're focusing is on uh, individuals uh, who are part of our uh, health plan and really trying to engage the, um, each person's family and and physician but the reason why we think um it you know the rate isn't higher is because a it's taboo to answer your question uh, but also it, the steps can be daunting um, because there are a lot of components to it but when we break it down and follow a recipe um, that we put together, it's actually not that complicated. So it's, it's more of, you know, um, there's gotta be a good metaphor for this, which is it, it's scary in the abstract, but when, when we introduce the topic um, to individuals and walk them through it, you know, a lot of people think, oh gosh, why did I make such a big deal out of this? It's not that hard. Yeah, it sounds like a big key is just having the conversation um, with somebody about it. Well, that's what we've been finding. And um, one of the anecdotes that I wanted to share with you actually follows directly from what you just said. And it, um, I actually have a little bit of a um, blast in the past in, in this anecdote, which is, you know, back, I told, I said at the opening that 
I have a degree in, in neuroscience and underneath that is a lot of psychology and psychology classes. And one of the things that I studied and maybe you and others had uh, had to do with uh, change, like how does one change one's mind? Mm -hmm. And there was a theory of change back in the day, which I think is still relatively well regarded uh, by a researcher named Prochaska. And he had what was called the trans-theoretical model of change that had five different steps, pre-contemplation, contemplation, contemplation you know, all the way through to, to action and maintenance. And what was really interesting, and, you know, and I'll keep in mind the context, we're talking about advanced directives, complicated in, in a sense, because there's a lot of different components to it, serious, we're talking about end of life, come on people, right? It's really hard. And it's, yeah. you know, who wants to talk about death? They're a little bit taboo and, and um, uh, can be challenging for people. And what we found over and over again, and, and it, it became less an anecdote and more of a pattern, which was, uh, is it had to do with the thing that you just said, which is we just provided a means for people to talk about it and think about it. And what we saw was people going through these different stages of stages of change, like Prochaska theorized about where, you know, we'd, we'd open the call and we'd go, you know, someone would be, um, you know, I won't go through each of the stages, but you know, the pre-contemplation stage would be really evident when we call and the person says, yeah, yeah, you know, I've thought about it. Um, I know it's a good thing. And, um, and you know, that's kind of where the conversation starts invariably or some version of that. Um, and then, like I said, once we show that, talk to them about the steps, usually most people know the importance of it, talk to them about the steps, um, they, they go through those stages of change and then ultimately get the, uh, ultimately get the advanced directive. Now, not everybody does, but we were astounded by the improvement uh, that we saw in our population and happy to elaborate on that if you're interested. Yeah, please tell me more about that. Okay. Well, we, um, you, in response to an earlier question, you said, so what's the current state of advanced directives in our country? And um, it's about in the low 40. So about 43-ish percent of the people of people and I should say adults and older adults, this is people over the age of 60 or 65, give or take, um, have an, an advanced directive. And um, what we what we endeavor to do is to improve that. And we can get to what the targets, what our targets are in a moment, but I did want to share with you uh, some numbers, which was, you know, wh when we started, we saw the national average in our own middle America marketplace of about 43%. And what we were able to do uh, just through these, these conversations, you know, really simple type outreach is get the, uh, get a 34% improvement. So for the people that went through uh, the program compared to those who didn't, we saw 34% improvement. So at the end of the day in our, in our market, we got our entire, our entire membership up to 62, 63%, you know, give or take, wow. uh, which was huge. You know, I've been studying population health initiatives for, for over 20 years. And as I've said to my colleagues, this was literally the biggest improvement I've ever seen in my career. And wow. so, you know, stealing one of your lines from a second ago is maybe people just need, you know, just need to t talk about it. I really feel like there's a lot of pent up demand. And what we just did was, help facilitate and um, uh, really help meet that demand that many people already had internally. Um, and, you know, obviously, is, is 
is there sort of an ideal age to be starting to think about this? Because obviously, you know, a lot of us now have aging parents, you know, who are having trouble with their health. And, you know, it's certainly the, the subject of, you know, DNRs and, you know, uh, life-saving mm -hmm. measures and all that kind of stuff comes up. Um, and, in, in, you know, as your numbers of – the numbers you've mentioned show, a lot of these folks haven't really – you know, dealt with, you know, sort of this issue of advanced directives. Is there, you know, mm -hmm. a recommended sort of time to, or age to kind of start thinking about this? Like, should you start thinking about this when you're, you know, in your forties or fifties, as opposed to when you're, you know, mm. you know, suddenly, suddenly having problems with your health? Mm -hmm. So we've given some thought to that and uh, there's our, uh, our business approach, which I'll share in a moment. And then also, some personal reflections um, that I'll that I'll share as well. So, in terms of in terms of who should have an advanced directive, here here's what our business goal is, which is uh, our business goal is everyone who wants an advanced directive should have an advanced directive. Now, that may seem like a cop out, but I want to in terms of a, a of a goal, but I want to just elaborate a tiny bit more, which is. Our objective isn't that 100% of, of people uh, that we work with have a, an advanced directive. Um, our goal is that 100% of the people contemplate mm -hmm. and seriously decide for themselves whether or not they want an advanced directive, and essentially just make it a fully informed decision. That's our goal, is that they they think about it seriously and don't just blow it off because, oh, it's too complicated. And you know maybe it is too complicated for them, and they... they and, each person you know, can decide that for him or herself. Uh, but our goal is to is really to just raise that topic in a structured way to help people decide whether or not it's right for them. And whether that results in, you know, we just stay where we are at 63% um, or it's into the 80s or 90s, um, you know, if there's ways that we can improve that, you know, the future will, will tell us that. But our goal for sure is just on that, making sure that everyone decides for themselves whether or not they want it, and then the, the natural rate will emerge, um, whatever that whatever that number is. In terms of, um, so I said in terms of business goals, that that's what that is, and then specifically for the ages, uh, um, you know, we work with both Medicare age individuals as well as uh, those under the age of sixty-five, and so the the business focus right now is on the over sixty-five. Uh, just just in terms of priorities, so since the the um, mortality rate is higher in people that's that are older, as we know, we're all going to die, just a matter of when. And each year that goes by, that probability does increase. Um, but that's not to say that those under the age of 65 uh, shouldn't um, at least do this, have that same uh, that we should have that same goal. And the should here is just back to each individual quote unquote, owning his or her future and making decisions for themselves. And so um, you're dropping down from the over 65s into the people who are 40 and 50s, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. This is, this is where I'm adding the personal part. So our, our business objective is 100% of everyone over the age 65 is asked and, and asked not just quickly, but you know, going through that process to decide what's right for them. Um, and then we are, um, slowly but surely then going to turn on to the under 65 and then michael's opinion is that uh we'll uh that we'll just 
we could and should just go down younger and younger. You know, honestly, I think it's you know, somebody in their 20s. I can also think how tragic that situation could be uh, um, for a person. And, you know, admittedly, very, you know, fewer younger people die, but they do. Uh, we know that. And um, I, I, again, this is Michael's view, not uh, corporations necessarily, but I also think part of a fulfilled life would be um, thinking about and kind of owning all aspects of it, of our life, as well as our death. What are, um, when, you know, when you've talked to people and they kind of say, you know, no, I don't want to get do an advanced directive. What are some of the reasons for saying no that people provide? Mm-hmm. The, the reasons won't be surprising. I don't think that reasons will be surprising. Um, uh, and they included, so I should back up a second. So we had our, our clinical staff um, made phone calls for our membership. And this is a, a membership that there seems to be a fairly high degree of trust uh, in our, our company is well established. And with these members, we're not just a, you know, um, we're beyond the stage of being viewed as a telemarketer. At least that's what it seems like when we talk to people. So decent relationships is what I'm trying to emphasize here. Mm -hmm. And so when people did say that they weren't interested, um, it didn't come across to us as a, as a simple blow off. Now it could have been uh, for sure, but it seemed like when they went through the, the steps that, um, and, and for those who engaged with us to do that, it seemed like the reasons just came down to, they didn't feel that this was the time where they needed to. Um, right. They didn't feel as though, you know, they weren't gonna die next week. So, you know, there's still more time to, to make that decision. And, um, you know, what, that's the right decision for them if that's their decision is, is our view. Um, however, it did make us think there's more that we could do. Um, and again, we don't wanna be intrusive. We're trying to improve people's, the quality of people's lives. But some of the things that we thought about for the people that were having challenges related to seeing it being a helpful document for them was engaging with their physician and encouraging the physician to um, have this have a similar conversation with the person um, and you know, it, I, you know I'm not a, a necessarily a people person so I wouldn't be the one doing it but you know I don't think the words would be along along the lines of Mrs. Jones um, looks like you're gonna die in the next couple months you know because you're you, you know you're hitting the averages um, but that I would suspect that there's multiple channels through which we could engage with a person that would potentially help them overcome some soft barriers, uh, including also engaging with people's families, uh, which are a big influence in, in people's lives. But was, we want to do so, of course, in a very respectful way. I was going to mention the family aspect because I imagine there are situations where you've got a, you know, a person, an older person who, you know, has an advanced directive and does not want any, you know, life-saving measures, you know, do not resuscitate all that. Mm -hmm. And the family disagrees or, you know, I mean, certainly in the moment where, you know, the person's struggling and on maybe on death's door or, or but could be resuscitated. I mean, the, I imagine there's some disagreements between the family and, you know, the fact that there's a, you know, a DNR or something. That's right. In fact, the uh, one of you, you hit nail on the head in terms of one of our quote unquote selling point is that, um, 
you know, when a loved one dies or is um, close, you know, is, is ill and uh, otherwise close to death, uh, one of our points that we've raised for a person to consider is the impact on the, on the family. And if there's different points of view amongst the family members, and uh, it's hard, hard for me to relate the, the approach that we take without it sounding like a guilt trip. Cause, and again, I'm not that per people person that has this conversation. Um, I, I deal with ones and zeros usually, but the, the, what we try to do is paint that picture of the family members all being on the same page and how that may be desirable for the person rather than, you know, the, a brother and a sister being on different sides of the table um, on the DNR topic that you mentioned. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned, how long have you, uh, has Lumeris been sort of working on, on advanced directives? So the company has been um, operating for 15 or more years, 15, almost 20 years now. And I mentioned that this because of the specific answer to your question is we've only recently focused on advanced directives, you know, to, um, you know, our, our focus for, for most of our history has been um, shorter term mm -hmm. in terms of um, you know, helping people have preventive tests and ensuring they have access to medical care when they need it. And we feel like we've, we've made a lot of progress there and there's a lot of good um, third party validation of, of that progress with, with ratings from the government and others. But when we stepped back and thought about, you know, you know, even deeper meaning to people's lives, uh, uh, which, you know, we can only do that once the acute needs are addressed, um, which we feel like we're doing, you know, decently with, um, we felt like this was a, a ripe topic. And I think the data is supporting that view, kind of getting back to the, um, just, you know, 34% improvement. You know, I think that's as much about the pent up demand for these conversations, these difficult conversations, uh, as it is about the fact that we did the outreach. Um, and so, well, he entered a little bit and answered that question, but um, the short the short answer is we've only done it recently, but um, I think that's a necessity to jump into it as you know, 15 years ago probably wouldn't have been effective. Right. Near, probably wouldn't have been nearly effective because the relationships weren't there and uh, lots of other opportunities. Did the pandemic have any effect on on folks? I know you know deciding to go with advanced directives. You know, just sort of. Uh, Obviously, you know, everybody was, you know, feeling, I think, mortality a little more um, mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. I don't know if that had any kind of bearing on folks as they kind of, you know, talked about, you know, doing these. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as you asked that question, I was just reflecting uh, that this was, uh, when we started this program was last year. So it was in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And some people were still homebound and the reflection that I had as you were asking that question was around that lack of social interactions and perhaps the world in the future seemed a little bit more darker metaphorically than uh, it would have otherwise. And so as you know, one of, one of the things seems like a morbid curiosity now that I think about it, but, but I, I, one of the things I wonder about is, will it become increasingly difficult to get that 34% return and higher uh, in the future as we come out of pandemic. I hope not, 
um, I, I would like to think that there's a, that pent up demand and, uh, but we'll see. And what, what that may mean is back to something we've already talked about, which would be, um, in a non pandemic world where death store may not seem as imminent, perhaps we'll have to do that engagement with physicians and family, uh, even more so than what we've done thus far. Yeah, and I guess it's just like you said earlier, just sort of, you know, bringing it up and, and you know, getting people to think about it and talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are today. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Um, well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been uh, de definitely uh, an interesting topic. <laughs> well, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share the, the work here uh, with you. All right. Thanks. That wraps up episode 59 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.